First Peter chapter two, starting in verse one. We're going to be in verses one through three. We're going to look at three different aspects of this passage. Three different aspects of this passage. It says, "Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby." If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The, the last one that tasting that the Lord is gracious is the linchpin for the whole verse. Everything is predicated on the fact that you have experienced God's grace. We just said that we love God because he first loved us. And it is God's grace that reaches us before we reach back for God. God's grace has been made available to all people through Jesus on the cross. As he was lifted up on the cross, his grace, like the bright light of the sun, shone on the whole world. God's grace was available for whosoever will to come. And that grace reached the shore of our hard hearts. And it still reaches the shore of our tired hearts or our weary hearts or our divided hearts. But that grace, as we look to the cross of Calvary, that grace will come upon us afresh. And it is in that grace that things begin to change. God doesn't crack the whip and force us into a religion of forced labor. If he desired to, he would. But God doesn't desire robots. He doesn't desire forced worship. His desire is to love you into loving him. And when you see Jesus at Calvary, you will begin to love him. Now what we see is that it is this tasting of the grace that motivates the rest of the verse. And don't let anything motivate you except for the fact that Jesus bought you. Don't let anything motivate you as far as it goes to God except for the fact that God chose you. That God chose to love you and save you and purchase you and redeem you and restore you and make all things new in you to create in you a new person. Have you been made new in Jesus? Hallelujah. But he says, if, if so be that you've tasted, right? The word taste there is experience. That's what it means, to experience it, to grab hold of it, to let it grab hold of you. Sometimes we need to remember, amen, that God is the one who's in control. And let, letting God's grace begin to work on us. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to point out. As I said, there's three main things I want you to see. So, number one, everything is predicated off of this work of God's grace. And it says in that very first verse, it says, wherefore laying aside, meaning if God's grace truly reaches the shores of your soul, there will be things that you desire more than these. In other words, there's a great exchange that takes place. As God's grace works in us, an exchange takes place. Nobody can, nobody can receive and taste and experience God's grace and not be changed. 
There's an exchange which tells you, right, when somebody's not been touched by God's grace, you can expect that they are indifferent, cold, callous, worldly. And so when we look at these, with these things, there is an exchange that takes place as God's grace reaches my soul. As his grace reaches my soul. I want you to know tonight that God's grace is reaching to you. I want you to know right now God's grace is what we truly need. It is, it is what changes. Amen? Without God's grace, we would be lost. We would be lost. God's grace is his favor. It's, it's his desire to choose you. It's his desire to buy you. It's his desire that you not continue struggling on your own, but that you begin to walk in the light of his glory. That's his grace. There's a couple of things that this, when you've truly experienced it. Now, there is people that get into the right side of the ditch and the left side of the ditch whenever you begin to talk about these things. But just navigating through this verse, are a couple of things that are what we want to touch on tonight. As God's grace reaches, we will begin to reach for something more than these. Malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings. It, it is a work of God that we will begin to reach toward him and not towards these things. These are in the toolbox of the carnal individual. The toolbox of the carnal individual is filled up with these in verse number one. This is how we operate. This is our modus operandi. This is our blueprint for worldly and carnal success. We will manipulate and use and stomp on and do what we got to do to get it done. But God's grace changes us, and he calls us to lay aside these worldly tools. Number one, malice. Malice is evil intent. And malice is, is when you desire to stomp on somebody. That's not God. That's not God. It, 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 malice is that desire not just, not just to win, but to stomp people down in the process. It is, it is an intent that kicks over and wants to see people suffer. Wants to see people struggle. And you might say, Brother Kenny, we're in church. We would never want to see somebody struggle. Come on. Think about politics right now. Think about how divided this nation is. Think about how divided families get whenever a church split happens. Think about how divided. They want to see people fall flat on their face. They want to see people struggle. They want to see people just get down to where they're broke, busted, and disgusted. That's malice, and it has no place in the life of a believer. But listen, God doesn't ask me to just get rid of it. It's as his grace reaches the shore of my soul, I see, you know what? I'd rather have God than hold on to that. I would rather have God than to be bitter and hope somebody else fails. I've got something more important to look at. That is God. And I've got something more important to long for, and that is a touch from heaven. You know what? And then God will begin to redeem those things. And instead of 
hoping that they fail, and that evil intent will actually kind of reverse that and begin to desire to see them grow, begin to desire to see them reach that same grace that has touched us, begin to see God change them like God is changing us. But it's not, I want you to see, it's not a work of our own. It's a work of God's grace. And what he does is he he gets you to the point where he's more beautiful than these things. This is our, our, our first response when we're put under pressure is to get into this avenue. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, malice kicks in. Boom. You cut me off, I'm going to cut you off. That malice, it just kicks in. I'll make you wait at the next light, you know. That malice just kicks right in. And, and, and that may sound silly to you, but for some of us, that's a struggle. But malice is, is right there. It is a carnal intent. It is a mechanism of the carnal flesh. But as God's grace reaches us, we say, oh, you must be in a hurry, buddy. Go right ahead right? It doesn't take somebody that's a super saint. It just takes somebody that's experiencing and tasting God's grace. That's it. And that's what God desires for all of us, is to just experience and taste that. I think about a story in the Bible whenever Jesus was rejected, and, 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 you know, in case you don't know, he was rejected a lot. He was rejected a lot. He wasn't the most popular person a lot of times. Whenever he was handing out fish and bread, he was. But whenever he was bringing a hard teaching, everybody left. John chapter 6. He said, y'all all going to leave? But there was one particular time when he was rejected, and, and, and James and John said, Lord, call down that thunder. Call down that fire from heaven and destroy that city. You remember that? They don't want us? Well, we don't want them. That's malice. And you know, Jesus rebuked them. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of right now. That was malice. That was, and, and it was for religious purposes. You know, the churches can get in fights with other churches. Oh, they, 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 don't, they don't want us to do that? Well, we're going to do this. But James and John, they... They saw their master rejected, and they wanted that city burned to the ground. Jesus said, no, you don't know what spirit that is right there. And so sometimes we have to be aware that even religious folks can get a little malicious. Even about good intents. You might even have a good intention, but you can get a little malicious. And so it's as God's grace washes over us that we'll begin to walk as God desires. The second one in there is guile, uh, beguiled. You know the word beguiled? Guile is trickery. It is the wiles of the devil. That's the guiling of the devil. That's, that's trickery. That's what that is. Oh, what is trickery? It's deceit. Our flesh manipulates. It is self's. MO. It is the way self operates. It is to manipulate people and situations to cause people to think that we're more holy than we are, more religious than we are, more high and mighty than we are, more walking with God than we truly are, more anything. It is, it is that place where we manipulate and trick. It's no integrity. That's what that is. When somebody doesn't have any integrity, they will begin to 
trick others. They will begin to lie about things and embellish things. They will begin to uh, deceive people in any which way they can. It doesn't even matter. Sometimes when flesh gets rolling, it, it's even in insignificant things that you'll begin to lead people away. You'll begin to lead people astray. Always remember that promotion comes from the Lord. Sometimes we desire promotion and we'll aim for it and get it any which way we can at all cost, kind of like how Jacob did. Remember how Jacob got the blessing? Beguiling. Jacob got the blessing by beguiling. And, and that's how sometimes we operate. But as God's grace is experienced in our life, we will lay aside even beguiling. So this is a laying aside of maliciousness, laying aside of beguiling. You see the next one? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This is a big one in the church world. You know how many times people say, ah, oh, this hypocrites. Is not having the reality of that which we claim to have. I've been around people like that before. But if we're honest, we've been like that before. There's times in our own lives that we weren't what we said we were. And that's, that's a motivation of the flesh to be adored or to be thought highly of. But as we just understand, you know what, it doesn't matter what people think because God loves us. And his grace reaches our shores and we begin to taste and experience that grace. We let go of worrying about what people think what they, they esteem about us, what they think is wonderful, but it doesn't matter anymore. We just want to be right with God. We just want to be loved by God, and we want him to be beautiful to us, and we want to be beautiful to him. We want to have this intimate relationship with him, and you know what? God doesn't want you to have to simulate it. It's one of the definitions in, in, in Webster's for hypocrisy is a simulation. A simulation, playing pretend, playing pretend. It is going through the motions but not having that, that reality in our lives. And how many times? I can tell you right now, growing up, there was times in our family's life we did that. We, we were so far not right with God, and we, but we went to church every Sunday. We, but we were so far away from God, but we were there every Sunday. And I'll never forget as long as I live these words. We are not getting out of this van until y'all dry it up and, and, and look right. You know, get it together. Shake it off. Get it together. Stop crying. Stop arguing. Stop fighting. We're not getting out till everybody has it together because we've got a simulation to run through. <laughs> this is what the flesh does. But I want you to know there's more to God than us running through a simulation. He's real. And you can truly taste him and experience him for yourself. You don't have to go through the motions. You don't have to play a simulation. You don't have to play a game. You don't have to roll through these expectations of what you think a godly person is supposed to do. You can have the reality of being a godly person and tasting and knowing God's good and his grace is for you. His grace is for you. Well, the simulation is, is, is a hard one to get past, and the, 
one of the other ones is envy. These are things that you let go of. As you see that he's beautiful, you'll let go of these things. Nobody has to teach you that. The, the more beautiful he is, the more you long for him, the more his grace is ministering to you. Nobody has to teach you these things. You don't have to go and memorize. Okay, wait, what was the first one? My, my, my what? My what? You don't have to do that. These things come automatic in our lives as his grace washes over us. We just automatically are no longer malicious. We just automatically don't care about the simulation and being hypocrite. We don't care about any. We just want to see him. We want to love him. We want to see his spirit work through us and to touch other people. And we want to see them experience the same grace. Because you know what? When you, How many of you know when you're eating something and it's good, you want somebody else to take a bite? Not, not all of it, right? Not all of it, but you want to say, because you, because if your dinner's better than theirs, you're like, you got to try a bite of this. You got to try a bite of this. I do this to my wife all the time. She's like, no, I don't want any. I'm like, no, no, you do. You do. She says, no, no, I don't. I'm like, yes, you do. This is a good witnessing tactic, right? Hey, I've tasted something that's really good. You want it. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You really want Jesus. But, you know, as we truly taste that God is good, we will desire that others have that same experience. And you say, hey, brother, you don't have to go through the simulation. You, you, you know, you, there is a, a true power of God that's at work in the life of a believer. And it, we're not going through the motion. We're not puffing smoke. It is a real thing. Amen. These things, this, uh, this hypocrisy and, and, and all of these things, they just automatically go to the wayside as we see his beauty and just receive it. And the next one is envy. You know, the envy is whenever you have this kind of like a, a rival. Is Well, I don't have any rivals, Brother Kenny. I'm not worried about anybody taking my place. I'm not worried about any of that. Well, revive, uh, envy is, is this, your rival is this, being discontent. When somebody else exceeds being discontent. This is whenever somebody else is happy and you go, well, if I was born with a silver spoon, I'd be happy too. That's envy. Being discontent when they begin to excel, when they begin to grow, when they begin to walk in God's blessing and, and God begins to move and, you know, maybe you're single and they get married and you don't or maybe they get a house and you don't or they get a car, they get the job, they teach Sunday school, you don't, you get passed over. Being envious is being discontent and I want you to know God will make you content. Go back and read Philippians 4, 11, 12, and 13. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but first, you got to find that you are content in Him. You'll never find that He's all that you need until you find out that He's all that you have and all that you'll ever need. Oh, He will, he will do an amazing thing in our lives once we get to that place of being content in Him. Lord, I don't need anybody else in my life if you're here. I don't need this and I don't need that. I need you. Oh, take us back to that place where we're content in you and you alone, right? But to be envious is, is whenever you, you see somebody else gaining, exceeding, excelling. You see a spirit of excellence on them and you go, well, I hope you don't trip and fall, buddy. That, that, 
where you just want to knock them down a peg. And you don't want them to be as smiley and as shiny as they are. Being discontent when somebody else excels. It's kind of like whenever the, the, the prodigal son came home. You remember the story? Prodigal son comes home. The father meets him on the road, right? You love, I love that song, When God Ran. And, and, and when that father ran and met the prodigal son on the road, which we all should have that testimony, hallelujah. I came home. The father met me. It says that the older brother got upset. Why are they doing all that? He squandered everything. And now he's back, and look, they're all celebrating him. I never left home. I never did this, and he never did that for me. That elder brother got a a, a little bit discontented. A little bit discontented. That's envy. And sometimes if if, if we're not receiving God's grace, if we're not tasting and, listen, experiencing that blessing from God, we will begin to grow discontent when others excel in the Lord. And the last one is evil speaking. This one is, is, well, gossip. Gossip and fault finding and all the rest. Backbiting, tearing one another down. This evil speaking is when we speak things that we ought not. Look, when you're receiving God's grace, nobody has to come around you and say, now, brother, do you really think we should be gossiping about, you know, so-and-so? You really think we should be tearing them down? Shouldn't we be building them up? Look, if, if you are truly receiving God's grace and truly experiencing this connection with God, nobody has to come around you and say, hey, let's stop tearing people down. Let's start praying for them. You know what? The, the enemy wants you to do nothing more than to tear people apart. If you get into the habit of fault finding, you know who's going to give you a magnifying glass so that you'll see more faults? The devil. You, you begin to tear somebody down, he's going to let you see that, that their shirt's crooked too. And he'll let you see that their clothes don't match. And he'll let you see that they didn't do this and they didn't do that. He'll just give you the biggest magnifying glass and you'll just be so focused on that person, just picking them apart, tearing them down. And that is evil speaking. But as we're being washed by that grace of God, nobody has to do that. It's something that we let go of as we grab hold of God. Do you see that? This is the great exchange that takes place. God doesn't have to teach it. God doesn't have to teach it. It just comes to you. The more you grow in God's grace, the more you'll see these, the, what I call that, the flesh's toolbox. The more you'll see the flesh's toolbox just kind of be empty. You'll dig around in there and there won't, won't be any tools. The more that you experience God's grace, the more that you'll see that. It is, you know, we're called to think on pure things, noble things, to, to have pure minds. You know, to the pure, it says all things are pure. That's what we've been called to do, not pick people apart. You know, you can, you, you honestly, in, in all honesty, you could pick anybody apart because none of us have made it. None of us have arrived. None of us are all put together. Amen? So if you want to find, if you want to go down the road of finding faults with people, the devil's open for business and business never stops. It's 24-7 business that the devil runs. 
gossip, backbiting, murmuring, complaining, fault-finding. These things destroy what God's doing in our lives. It destroys what God's doing in our lives. But when God's grace comes, when God's grace comes, not only do we let go of the carnal fleshly toolbox, but we also will begin to grow. And you see, this is the, the other side of it. Not only are we letting go of the things of the flesh, but the Bible says here, we will grow. See, God's grace will grow you more through your experience, through walking with him, through truly having an intimacy with him. God will grow you more than any Sunday school or sermon you would ever sit through. As God's grace touches, look, and, and here's the thing. God's grace is, is towards you. As you look at Calvary, God's grace is toward you. What you do with it makes all the difference. What you do with it makes all the difference. I think about a story like Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, right? He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. He expressed faith, and he climbed up in the sycamore tree, looked for Jesus. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. You know what that is? That's grace. He wasn't saved yet. That was grace coming to Zacchaeus' house. When Jesus was at Zacchaeus' house, he could have stayed cold and indifferent, given him a bowl of chili and sent him back out the door. But he said, whatever I've taken, whatever I've taken that's not right, I'm going to restore and give back more. What happened? He was so moved by the grace that came to him, nobody taught him to give back. Jesus didn't say, now Zacchaeus, you want to get saved, you're going to have to do something for it. It was that grace that he tasted, and he said, Jesus didn't have to come to my house, but he did, and I'm a wicked sinner. I'm vile, I'm carnal, I'm worldly, I'm hopeless, and yet the Lord of glory came to my house. And it was that grace that propelled him into righteousness. Nobody was cracking a whip on him, forcing him to give or do anything. See, religion would have said, now, Zacchaeus, before I come to your house, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on. I'm coming to your house. Don't you believe that as Jesus was in Zacchaeus' house, he was going through so many thoughts? They were probably talking about ministry and talking about this and talking about that. And the whole time he was just under a spirit of conviction saying, Oh, there's a holy and righteous one here. And I am like Isaiah. I'm undone. My lips are not clean and I, I, I can't be in this presence right now. It's that spirit of conviction was all upon Zacchaeus. But you know what? Jesus just sat there. Jesus just sat there and sat there and sat there. And then he broke. He stood up and he said, all right, all right, you can have it all. You know, sometimes kids will fess up to things like that. You just look at them and they'll say, okay, I broke the cookie jar. You're like, where did that come from? 
That conviction just came on him. As you were just sitting there looking at him, it broke him. And don't you know, as Zacchaeus was this, he was a thief. He was manipulating. He was, he was rotten. And yet, he, God's grace came on him, and, and, and it changed him. Nobody told him he had to. God's grace led him to. That's beauty. That is beautiful. And I want you to know, God works the same way today. God works the same way today. You know, as you're experiencing God's grace, you'll begin to grow in all areas. You'll begin to grow in your prayer life. You'll begin to grow in that sincere word. You'll begin to grow in your love for the brethren. You'll begin to grow in your church attendance. You'll be, nobody gonna have to kick you in the tail to get you to love your neighbor. It is just as you grow, as that grace is just washing over you, as you're growing, you'll begin to grow in all areas. God is good. And, and you know who the real teacher Teacher is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he'll teach you. He'll guide you into all truth. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher. And when he comes and you begin to receive that grace, he will do. Look, there may be a different situation for all of us. And, and he'll begin to speak to us and tell us what we need to do in that hour to grow. And Zacchaeus say. Hey, he might have been a thief at one time, but when he got touched by God's grace, he let God's grace have all course. Just wash over me. Just like Peter said, don't just wash my feet, but my head, my body, everything. Get it all, Lord. Get it all. And that's what Zacchaeus did. He said, you know what? I'm glad you came to dinner, but I want you to have all of me. I'm giving everything that I've ever taken wrongly. I'm giving it all back right now, right now. He probably said, yeah, all right, we go, we got to stop dinner right now. Everybody pick everything up. I got to go handle some business. You know, that's what the spirit of conviction will do in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit. It's grace. It's grace that does it. Grace. Well, this, this, I want you to see, it will provide for you a foundation that God will grow you in. This grace, as you taste it, as you experience this grace, it will provide for you what I would call a root system that God will grow you from. This root system, God calls you to be strong in. That is, as he says here, if so be that you've tasted, right? If so be that you've tasted. These things will not happen unless you have tasted. But once you have tasted, these things will begin to commence. You will begin to lay aside the carnal toolbox, and you will begin to grow in all areas, untaught by man, but taught by the Holy Ghost. You'll begin to grow in all areas. And this root system, this foundation, God will build on. God will build on. Let me take you to another place real quick. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. See, the, the grace of God, when it's applied to your soul, it will develop you. It'll purify you, and it will develop you. Remember this. Grace experienced, or grace tasted, 
will never leave you unchanged or unmoved. Once you know God didn't have to love you, but he did, it'll change you and it'll move you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this. This is so... Our, our, our church world needs this so much. Listen to this verse. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How do you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is by continuing to experience and taste his grace. It is to continue to hunger and to thirst for that inner working, just like Zacchaeus was transformed by the very presence of Jesus. In the same manner, don't ever grow cold or indifferent and get into the place where we get into a habitual simulation of religion, but continually coming back to the throne of grace and obtaining mercy for your time of need and letting God make all things new in our lives. And God's desire is to do just that. Paul said, be strong in the grace. Some people flirted with grace. Some people had an encounter with grace 20 years ago. But Paul tells Timothy, be strong in that grace. Meaning, you, you want the best thing for you. The best thing for you is to know God loves you. That's where grace begins. Know that God loves you. That's where grace begins. And then meditate on that. Think on that, how Christ came to this earth. He incarnated into flesh and he chose to go to Calvary and let people that he created pluck out his beard, spit on him, hit him, nail him to a cross, stick a spear into his side, put a crown of thorns on his head. Why? Humiliated him. Why? Because he loved you. And his desire was to redeem you not with the blood of bulls or goats, but with his own blood. God incarnated so that he could shed his blood for you. He loved you. And we don't understand that right now. We On this side of glory, our minds are limited. It is We don't have the capacity to think about these things. We are finite beings, but when we step into glory and we see his beauty, we'll begin to grasp it. We'll begin to see it, and we'll sing for ages and ages and eons. How did he do this? Worthy is the lamb. You know the song? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We will be in wonder and awestruck. He loved us. And right now, that's where God's grace is. God's grace is when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, it shot out to all the world. Look here. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same 
commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It is good, it is good that you've tasted and that this grace has changed you. You're no longer in the simulation, Timothy. Be strong in that. Don't let the simulation come back on you. Don't go back into formalism. Don't go back into legalism. Don't go through the motions. Don't dry out. Don't dry rot. But be strong in that grace, and God will continue working in you. Verse 3. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. You see, you're going to have to put on the boots and walk through the fire and endure hardness like a soldier. Soldiers sleep in the rain if they have to. March through mud if they have to. You try getting somebody to church when it's windy. Just give me an excuse not to go to church, Lord. It's too sunny. The golf course is looking mighty good. Fish are biting. It's too rainy. Don't want to catch a cold. Too hot, too cold. And it'll never be just right for the flesh. It'll never be just right for the flesh. But he says, endure hardness like a soldier. That is, don't let anything stop you. Don't let anything stop you from drawing nigh unto God. Whatever it is that is preventing you from going to altars, whatever it is that's preventing you from getting to your knees in prayer, whatever it is that's stopping you or hindering you from the word of God, get it out of the way. March through it like a soldier would. Endure that hardness Just get those boots on and march forward in Jesus' name. And he says, no one. Look, it said, no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. How many saints of God have been taken off the battlefield because we begin to get caught up in the things of the world? We get in the wrong battles. Amen? God's called us to the battle for souls. Our highest calling, our highest calling is to be used by God to win souls into heaven. Our highest calling. It's more important that we lead people to Christ than register them to vote. It is a sad state of affairs when we're more excited How many doors have you knocked on? How many people have you registered to vote? But we can't muster up the courage to invite someone to church or lead them to Christ. I believe it will be to our shame one day if we've knocked on a stranger's door and begged them to vote for a politician but not begged them to receive Christ for the salvation. And and, and I'm using that as an example, but there's many things that we could use, but it just says here, did not get entangled with the things of this world. Whenever you think about soldiers, they're on a mission. 
Have you ever seen Buckingham Palace over in England? And they have those guards that guard the palace. It's a known thing. People try to talk to them or distract them, but they have to look straight ahead, not make any faces, not talk to you, not anything. They, they can't lose sight of the mission. They're not going to get entangled with jokes or side talk or silly banter, but they're focused on the agenda of the nation. And see, we're called to be focused on the agenda of the kingdom. We're focused in all things. And the way that we, the way that we raise our families, the way that we raise our kids, the way that we treat our boss or our coworkers, the way that we drive, the way that we dress, the way that we do, whatever we do is supposed to all be done for the glory of God, for the furtherance of the kingdom, so that souls will be led to salvation in Jesus Christ. We're called to not get entangled in the wrong fights. How many Christians have got entangled in the wrong fights and lost that saltiness, lost that savor? And God's calling us here to be strong in His grace. Whenever things begin to go in that simulation, whenever the hypocrisy or the malice or the envy or the discontent, whatever it may be, when those things begin to rise up, we know we're not tasting his grace. We need to get back to that altar, come back to that place where we see Christ on Calvary purchasing our soul, that he didn't have to, but he chose to, and coming back to that simple place of faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.